0: Today is Pentecost Sunday, and some of you may be wondering just what exactly is Pentecost? And it truly is one of the great festivals of the Christian church. I know it's not popular as popular in modern culture as Christmas or Easter, but in the tradition and history of the church, It is profoundly significant. It marks the coming of the Holy Spirit on the disciples after Jesus' resurrection. And it marks their transformation from frightened and confused people to men who would face martyrdom for what they believe. Now, Pentecost comes from a Greek root, Pentecostus, which simply means 50, the 50th day. It's the 50th day after the Sabbath of Passover week. In Judaism, this is called the Feast of Weeks. And you can find it in Leviticus 23rd chapter. Now, where John Wesley came from in England, it was referred to commonly as Whitsun, which is an abbreviation of White Sunday. White Sunday, Pastor, we're all wearing red. There's red everywhere. Why White Sunday? Well, White Sunday because typically it was a day for baptism and everyone that was being baptized would wear white. And so it was shortened to witsun And some say that, that that was just part of it. The Anglo-Saxon root wit means understanding. And so the Holy Spirit poured out on the church in that upper room so long ago gave them understanding. And so... Whitsun, Understanding Sunday, was what resulted from that. Now that's just a little bit of history, but it really doesn't describe everything that Pentecost is about. See, Pentecost is the fulfillment of two promises in the Bible. One is from the Old Testament in Joel which says I will pour out my spirit on all people. And then in the New Testament in John's gospel Jesus says that he will send another counselor. And that counselor will be the spirit of truth. Now Pentecost in as it occurred in the old upper room with the disciples Gathered there, waiting for this promised counselor to come, was marked by three distinct experiences. One was a violent wind, wind is the symbol of the spirit of God, the breath of God. Ezekiel 37 tells the story of Ezekiel's vision in a valley of dry bones which come together when the breath of God breathes life into the dry bones in the valley. The second experience is the tongues of fire. Tongues of fire that separate and come to rest on each of the disciples in the upper room. In Matthew Jesus told his disciples, You are the light of the world. And John, he says, I am the light of the world. The picture there is that a single flame, the light of Christ, divides among his people the church and rests on each of us as a believer. Not just to rest there because it's nice to have the flame of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and on you. But because it is the power of the Holy Spirit that motivates us to do something. And then the third experience is that of tongues or other languages. And I know some denominations put a great emphasis on the speaking in tongues. But what I think we need to understand is that it represents understanding. The barrier that was created in Genesis chapter 11 as they tried to build a tower to reach God. And God confounded their language making them all speak in different tongues. So that they couldn't coordinate and understand one another to accomplish this building of the Tower of Babel. And that day of Pentecost in the upper room, God reversed the confusion. And it didn't matter what tongue each of the disciples was speaking, they could all be understood. And then the last thing we want to think about uh, Pentecost is that it marks the birthday, if you will, of the Christian church. As we'll see in the lesson today, Peter preached immediately after receiving the Spirit and 3,000 people believed and were baptized that day, which launched the mission of the Christian church In the world. So, what do we do with Pentecost? Two things come to mind about Pentecost. One is the excruciating anticipation of waiting, and the second is a miraculous relief. To that excruciating period of waiting by a rushing wind and tongues of fire. What kinds of things do you think about when you're waiting? What thoughts run through your mind when you are on the other side of a life-changing event Or series of events. And you are waiting for the fallout. Or the windfall. You're waiting on the consequences. Or you're waiting on the reward. Either way. You are anticipating. God's timing. Of the next step. What. Do I do within the boundaries of the will of God next? If you're human, then you probably start to second guess the decisions that got you here, the choices you made along the way, the successes and the failures. You ask yourself questions like, What could I have done differently? What could I have done better? What if I had done this or done that or not done this or that? Questions while you're waiting. Now I can imagine the disciples on this side of the resurrection waiting in Jerusalem in that upper room for whatever would come next. And they had seen so much, experienced so much with their Lord. Signs, wonders, miracles, triumph, victory, and then tragedy, sadness, loss, fear, persecution, death, and then resurrection, restoration, new life. And then the Ascension, which brought about a new apprehension and uncertainty and feeling of abandonment. See, if we look at our gospel lesson today, we see that right up to the Ascension, the disciples were still asking Questions, still lacking understanding, still unsure of their purpose and their future. Philip said, Master, show us the Father, then we'll be content. And Jesus says, You've been with me all this time, Philip, and you still don't understand. To see me is to see the Father. So how can you ask, where is the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you aren't mere words. I don't just make them up on my own, Philip. The Father who resides in me crafts each word into a divine act. Believe me, I am in my Father and my Father is in me. If you can't believe that, believe what you see, these works. The person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things. Because I am on my way to the Father. And I am giving you the same work to do that I've been doing. You can count on it. From now on, whatever you request along the lines of who I am and what I am doing, I will do it. That's how the Father will be seen for who who He is in the Son. That's how the Father will be seen for who He is in the Son. Whatever you request in this way, I'll do and then Jesus says if you love me show it by doing what I've told you oh that's so hard some days pastor And Jesus says, I will talk to the Father and He'll provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. You see, you don't have to do this alone, Philip. The friend is the spirit of truth. The godless world can't take Him in because it doesn't have eyes to see Him, doesn't know even what to look for. But you know, you know him already because he has been staying with you and will even be in you. He wasn't just talking to Philip. He was talking to each one of us. So the disciples returned to the city to wait for the friend that Jesus promised. The Spirit of truth. What the days between the ascension and the coming of the Spirit must have been like for them. Have you ever been promised something and waited for the promise to come about? Has that been in your experience before? Have you ever been tasked with something but told to wait for instructions before you begin? Oh my goodness. What do we do with ourselves? We can wait idly and allow our thoughts and our imaginations to conjure up all kinds of worry and doubt. Or we can wait Actively in prayer and study so that we are prepared for whatever comes next. We can wallow in the mire of our past, thinking about all of our previous failures and transgressions, thinking about how unworthy and ill-equipped we are to accomplish the task set before us, or we can praise Him and worship Him and pray to Him and give it all over to Him, trusting that He will equip us to handle the purpose for which He has ordained us. When the Feast of Pentecost came, They were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. When they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then when they heard one after another their own mother tongues being spoken, they were thunderstruck. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on and kept saying, Aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Parthians, Medes, Alamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Piraea, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. Immigrants from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs. They're speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works. See, the thing about tongues is it's only from God if it edifies and glorifies God. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of any of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What's going on here? Others joked... They're drunk on cheap wine. And then Peter speaks up. Big surprise here, right? Peter speaking up. That's when Peter stood up and backed by the other eleven, spoke out with bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get the story straight. These people aren't drunk, as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy. Also your daughters, your young men will see visions, your old men dream dreams. When the time comes, I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they'll prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red. Before the day of the Lord arrives, the day tremendous and marvelous. And whoever calls out for help to me, God will be saved. See, I really love this passage about Peter. His God-breathed sermon, supernaturally resonating throughout the city. Preaching a prophetic word about what? About the age of the church, which began that day. The church, which had just been launched by the power of of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now dwelling in Peter emboldens him and he speaks out with wisdom and authority and power. And that same Spirit is in each of you. We say that we are an Easter people. People of the resurrection. And that's true. But now that the resurrection has occurred, and we each have a share in it, what we really need to be are Pentecost people. We need to leave the upper room and go tell people in the community we need to acknowledge the sending out by the Holy Spirit And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to go and preach the gospel. As believers, we need to realize that the same Holy Spirit that emboldened Peter dwells in each of us. We, you and I, have the God-breathed power to preach the truth to all people. Allow that Holy Spirit power to set you on fire for the spreading of the gospel today. Tell someone the good news this week. Tell someone that their circumstances and their past don't define who they are. Tell them that Jesus loves them and wants them to come home to the family of God. Tell them that their dry, spiritually dead lives can be filled with the breath of God and they can live. Tell somebody that there is an individual Holy Spirit flame with their name on it. Tell them also that time is short and they need to get on the ark. Tell them that they are eternal beings and they will live forever. And they need to choose wisely where they will spend eternity. Tell them, tell them, tell them. Tell them what Paul says in Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit, a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, than heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Tell them. Tell them. In the book of Ezekiel, the prophet finds himself set into a valley of dry bones. As far as he can see, nothing but dry bones across the landscape. And the Lord comes to him and says, mortal, can these bones live? Ezekiel answers saying, Oh Lord God, you know. See, I love Ezekiel's response in that moment because in that moment he gives it all up to God. His response acknowledges God as the one in absolute control. And like Ezekiel, we can sometimes find ourselves standing amidst a valley of dry bones. The issues of our past trespasses, our past defeats, our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual brokenness scattered all around us on the valley floor. We struggle with waiting for God's plan to unfold and we often don't know how to wait actively, prayerfully, to ready ourselves for the rushing wind and the tongues of fire, the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we serve A great and mighty God. A God that is bigger than our past. A God who is bigger than any of our obstacles. A God who levels mountains and raises up valleys, making rough places plain, smoothing out and preparing the way for us. Breathing life into us and into our circumstances. And so, like Ezekiel, we must be still and pray and worship and wait and listen for the Lord, for his wisdom and his direction. And when he comes to us and asks us, mortal, can these bones live? In other words, can we overcome? Can we move past our issues? Can we forgive and be forgiven? Can we let go of our past and move forward into our hope in Christ? Then we can say, through the faith and confidence we have in our great God, which we have been given by the Holy Spirit, as we bow our knees in reverent submission to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, giving God all of the honor and the glory, we can answer Him and say, O oh Lord God, You know. You know. Give it up to Him this morning. Acknowledge the sending of the Spirit out into the world. The flame of the Holy Spirit rests on each of you as a believer. And therefore you have the power of the Holy Spirit resting in each of you. Ignite that spark into a fire for this community and for each other. Be in support, loving support of one another. The Holy Spirit is not a spirit of grumbling, it's not a spirit of complaining, it's not a spirit of what can I get out of worship. No. The Holy Spirit is a spirit that unifies. The Holy Spirit is a spirit that empowers the individual Christian to be an effective member of the body of Christ. We each have a job to do. We each have a ministry to perform. Allow the Holy Spirit to today to move you out of this upper room, out into the world where you can be effective for the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.